Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of the Heavy Branches Podcast. I'm Jacob. And I'm Tanner. And we're so excited to get into Luke chapter 12 with you right at the midway point of the book of Luke. Yeah, it's going to be great. As you can see, standing here, we have Jacob Cave, our special guest. And this time, we decided not to give him a chair because last time he lied about not about the chair that we gave him. And it was extremely disrespectful, so yeah, he's being so punished. He gets to stand the whole podcast. How do you feel about that? Feeling okay. Just don't speak too long. Don't speak too long. Your legs will get tired. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Here, here's a chair. Anyway, wow. wanted to get that out of the way. Give him a little, little more of a hard time than we did last time about it. Before we really hop into the podcast, I, I want to take a just a second to say a thank you. Me and Jacob Simpson are extremely thankful, and uh, we're thankful. For my uncle, Terry Peer, uh, and uh, the podcast, Chasing Giants, and uh, also Don Higgins, because they've been a tremendous help in helping out with our quality and our ability to get the podcast out to you. And it's <laughs> it's something we didn't ever expect yeah. to get, and... It's just been a tremendous blessing and help. In fact, every every literally everything that we're using um, right now is is from them. The, the headsets we have on, uh, I'll see if you can see this in the camera. This audio board we have is from them. The, the cam- camera, the camera that we're the, and the the stand too. The stand, the I, camera, <laughs> and the camera stand. I mean, the all of our equipment currently, other than the software we're using to put this out, is is from them. And so we're we're very appreciative of that and. It's very high quality stuff because they have a, a pretty nice podcast with a lot of listeners out, and maybe you can tell them a little bit more about that. You know more about it than I do. Well, it's called Chasing Di- Giants with Don Higgins, and uh, it's it's a hunting podcast. But they're both uh, men that strive to be faithful, and uh, they saw an opportunity to help us out. <laughs> and like I said, we didn't expect it, but they've been tremendous, and we wanted to give them a thank you. Um. As we get into the next part, we always kind of begin with a mark your calendar thing. Uh, we've talked about these for a couple of weeks, but the LBC module, is, the next one is coming up pretty quick, December 1st and 2nd. So, you know, just after Thanksgiving, the start of December, there will be a Origins module taught by Brian Schultz. We're all really excited that I know me and Jacob Simpson will be there. Jacob Cabe hasn't 100% decided but First you were out, then you were in, and now you're undecided. Are, are you still undecided? Or Well, I don't need the credit. So if I go, I'll be auditing and just be there for, you know, to get all the information. Just for great fellowship and information. And, yeah. You know, yeah. lots of great reasons to come. <laughs> Very true. Very true. And then the LBC semester starts January 15th. Um, and so that'll be good if you're interested in, you know, jumping into school for a full semester. And then uh, the last thing is the person-to-person leadership seminar, January 11th and 12th, and uh, that's going to be led by Jeff Fall. Jeff Fall, thank you, Jeff Fall. Uh, it'll, I'm sure it'll be great. I plan on going. Um, I got off, so I'll be there. Jacob will be there. Jacob may, might be there, <laughs> uh, but if you want more information. Uh, go to the webs person to person's website, which is p the number two p m dot org p two p m dot org. 
So let's hop into Luke chapter 12. Well, before we do that, we got to do with the how was your week. Oh, yeah. We didn't do that yet. How so was how, your week? Now you, all, you always start. First. I always how start. Was your, how was right. your week, Tanner? My week was pretty good. Um, I, I, I guess I feel like I didn't have anything like big going on, but I started working on a sermon and, and did some other work, and uh, I'm just, you know, enjoying life, enjoying uh, early stages of married life, which is which is nice, and uh, um, yeah, so how was your week? Uh, it was good. I This week, I traveled farther than I ever have before to go preach on, okay. on Sunday, so I was up in... Indiana, um, it was bet- it's like between Fort Wayne and South Bend, so way way up there. It's about four hours and fifteen minutes from from my house here, so it, it went really good. Uh, very very loving congregation, super nice people. We had a, a pot- they had planned a potluck for cool. for after church, so I stayed for that and got to meet and know the people a little more, which is always a good thing to get to do. You get preached somewhere, um, so it, it went really well, and it was the last. Um, sermon that I have kind of planned out to go preach. I, I don't have any other other fill-in things on my calendar for now. I was kind of leaving the holiday season a little more open because I didn't want to be four hours away and then have a Thanksgiving or a Christmas thing coming up. But uh, so that was good. Went and preached. Other than that, uh, I worked a lot this week for at Chick Fil A. So delivered a bunch of chicken. That's about it. But how was your week, Jacob? It was really good. I'm actually really excited because this Sunday I get to go where you preached last week, and you know that's right. Yeah, you set the bar really high, and they're really excited <laughs> about meeting the other Jacob. So I, we'll see. I don't know about setting the bar oh, high, man. I I know. So we'll see if I can meet those expectations. Well, they get to see possibly the most direct opposite two types of <laughs> preaching possible <laughs> by listening to Jacob Simpson and then re- listening to Jacob K. <laughs> what are you trying to say there? <laughs> you just have very different styles, but uh, that's not a bad thing at all. So I'm really excited about going there because last week I didn't get to preach anywhere, and I don't know, I just really am excited when I when I get to, to go preach, especially when I get a little bit of a break because I just, I'm ready to get back behind a pulpit. And so I've been kind of preparing for that. Um, and then what else happened? Oh, I went to school Thursday with Jacob, had really good classes, and I also killed a deer at the beginning of the week in Kentucky. It's currently modern gun season, so that's been taking up a good bit of my time. You made some delicious deer jerky that I was so thankful you gave me a bag of. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you thought it was good. You know, sometimes you have to sit there and chew on it for he didn't, no, if forever. It, if he it, didn't bring me any deer if jerky. It doesn't, if it doesn't almost break out your teeth, I'm not convinced it's actually deer jerky. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, so I've been making jerky and looking at the word for sermons and stuff, so it's been a fantastic week. That's good. So, yeah. good. Good to hear it. All right, let's hop into Luke chapter 12. Uh, be sure to read it. You know, we, we try and remind you guys every week, follow along with us. Uh, make sure we're not saying things that are wrong. <laughs> uh, so, in context... Last week, as we were reading, we saw that Jesus taught the disciples and us priorities in prayer, and we discussed the woes of the Pharisees, which Jesus, um, you know, calls them out for, and, you know, their woes came from their choice, the Pharisees' choice, to reject Jesus in unbelief. And now we get into this chapter, 
Luke chapter 12, 59 verses. And my chi- my chapter title for this week, I don't think I had one last week, but that's okay. My yeah, chapter I asked title, you about it last week, and then you were like, oh, I didn't think about it. And I thought you were going to give me one there, and then you just went to something else. Yeah, well, it happens. Drop the ball. Drop the ball. But our chapter title this, w- title this week, the, the theme of this chapter I found, and I, I think it's fitting after, you know, the end of last chapter, but it's Fear God. Fear God in eagerness and in patience. Um, so you've got all these chapter themes through the book of Luke. Are you going to use these to write a commentary on Luke one day? <laughs> I don't know if I'm uh, the commentary type. No? I, I I think that is... I know you're working on another book. You want to throw in a commentary in there? That is regarded for much more scholarly people than me. <laughs> I, I think maybe like twenty years from now you'll feel a little bit better about yourself and you'll. you'll I don't do know. Well, I I don't even. I'm I'm just starting my master's degree, man. I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. But fear God and eagerness and patience, in eagerness constantly seeking God and His kingdom and His mission, and in patience allowing for God's timing and His work to be done or accomplished. So we have to fear Him in 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 both ways. Uh, and what I mean by fear, I, I mean respect him and honor him in, in, in all ways in our lives. So let's hop into our key thoughts here. You know, I, I seem to every chapter always have something right in the first verse, so it never fails. You are but good it, at that. Anyway, first verse, under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, He began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And the main the main thought I had from this is that we need to watch out for those with influence seeking to change you negatively. This is really the warning of of Jesus here is that the Pharisees are people that have a lot of influence, just like leaven has tremendous influence on bread and how it changes it. So do the Pharisees on the people. And so he's saying, be wary of those like the Pharisees that seem to know a lot, act like they know everything, yet are deceptively humble with their words before the many and self-serving amongst the few. It's extremely easy to fall into that kind of trap, and it's especially easy as Christians when we lose sight of what's truly important. And I think that's a great way to kick off this chapter because he's saying, Watch out for those people because it's easy to fall into it when we lose track of what's truly important. And what's important above everything else is that we fear God. And what we learn from the scripture is that spiritual joy is denied to the proud because they lack the heart to do what's good. So do not fear or respect people like the Pharisees. Fear God. So... Let's hop in to really that theme as we as we dive into the chapter. Uh, looking at verses, really verses two through through two and three, 
um, we see Jesus talking about light uh, and the light and the darkness. And what I have to say to that is fear and respect to the light in which nothing can hide. First of all, God, we know God as an unapproachable light, a light that is so great that, like if you go back to Moses, he couldn't, <laughs> he had to hide in the cleft of the rock to even see a glimpse of, of God. That kind of light, and, and even through the cleft, it left a glow on his face. Right. That kind of light, the light of God, who God is and his holiness is so pure, it's so bright that there isn't a single thing that cannot be exposed by it. We can't hide our words from him. Verse 3, accordingly, whatever you've said in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. That's kind of a a bit of a, a challenging thought. That whatever words we say, the the light of God is going to bring them out. And so that we have to have a, a respect, a fear of the God who knows everything, who is far beyond and so holy and pure that really we we struggle to even comprehend that. And, you know, this whole chapter, but this makes me think of how Proverbs over and over again, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And repeatedly, it's written, the fear of the Lord. You'd have to check me on this, but I know Proverbs has a lot of recurring themes, but uh, the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom might be the one that's repeated the most in there. It's it's certainly up there and near the top of the list there of of repeated things in the Proverbs. And to fear the Lord, this is what this verse is kind of touching upon, is understanding and realizing that we cannot hide anything from him. So whatever we do, we need to know that uh, it is that God knows of it and it matters to him. And so even when we think we're hiding it, we cannot and so it's fearing him in all situations. Kind of makes you think of uh, when you're you're in the church building and people are like, oh, you better not say a lie in the church, as if it's a, a greater sin to lie in the church building because God will hear you than <laughs> it is to lie when you're out talking with someone in a private setting. God, God hears both the same way, and there <laughs> there is not a different level of sin if you say a lie in the church building because God hears it more, or if you do whatever wrong thing in the church building. It's not a greater sin because God hears all that we say and all that we think. Yeah, I think we we put respect on the wrong things. When <laughs> fear of the fear of the Lord is the, is the primary. And the last thing I'll say about this is we speak of Jesus as the light of the world. Especially around Christmas time, uh I think that that theme comes up more, that theology comes up more, and and rightfully so. And it's viewed as a very positive thing, and it is for the hopeful that have put their faith in Jesus. 
But what we see her here is the light of the world is joyous for the faithful, but it is just as condemning for the unrighteous. And we can't forget that although light is good and pure, that good and pureness of God comes out in his love and his justice. And there is an expectation from, from God, from Jesus, that we fear him above all else and therefore live our lives seeking him. The, the bad and sinful part of our lives, the things that we don't want anyone else to see, they can be pretty easily hidden in the darkness. But you bring it into God's light and all of that's going to be exposed. And, and he can take care of those problems for you, your, your sin problems. But a lot of times people trust the darkness to just cover up the, the flaws and mistakes in their life rather than allowing God to, to take care of that because it would have to be seen in the light. Yeah, there's a lot of fear of exposure from everybody, but the reality is is it doesn't go away covering it up. It goes away when the light purifies it. That's right. So moving on in the chapter, we we continue this thought of fearing God, but now we as we get into verses five, um, five through we'll say seven. There's this thought of fearing God and not the world. And a lot of times we, we talk about the world as uh, the, the sinful nature of the world or, or how the world is. I'm more talking about God's creation in this case. Um, you see, he promises to take care of his prized creation. And we, we really see that here. Jesus is talking. He says, But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. A sparrow is near worthless. That's Jesus' point. A sparrow is near worthless, but God meets their needs. And we're going to get into this more as later in the chapter because this whole chapter connects in a very beautiful way, especially when you get into verse 13. But there is an emphasis here, fear God and not... Don't fear the the struggle or the 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 burden of the world because God's going to take care of you if you trust Him. And I, I think it's it's good to, th- to think about the context here. Jesus is is speaking to his disciples. We see that at the end of the verse one, he began saying to his disciples, and he, he's telling them, you know, beware of the the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. And beware of, of idle words you might have because everything's going to be brought to light. And, and, and the Pharisees at this point are plotting to kill Jesus. Yeah. And so with death on his mind, Jesus feels it's necessary to teach the disciple, his disciples, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. And then that's when he gets into verse 5, what you just got done talking about. 
I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Fear him. And so Jesus, that death has got to be on his mind. The, the Pharisees are, are, are plotting to kill him, and he, Jesus knows this. And so he feels it's really necessary to teach his disciples, look, they're, they're plotting to kill me. If you follow me, they're going to plot and try to kill you too. And we see that happen to many of his disciples, both in the rest of your New Testament and, and in early church history. You can read a lot more about how Jesus' disciples and apostles were persecuted. But I'd like to say they, they I feel like they took this message to heart pretty well because we see, what, 11 of the 12 apostles die as martyrs for their faith. The only one not doing that was John, John who died of old age, but he had to, to suffer lots of persecution as well. And, and there's a lesson we can learn today from this. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more they can do, but fear the one who has authority to put your soul in hell, to cast it in hell. You know, we don't really face persecution like they did in that time. I don't know any Christians that have uh, been faced with being hung up on a cross upside down like Peter did. At or, least in the, or, at least in the West, we don't have that. right here in here in the states where I'm assuming everyone who's listening is from the yeah. states. You know, we don't really face that. People aren't <laughs> being crucified upside down or or being beheaded or being lit at the stake on fire, but historically we see that Christians face that, and, and I'd imagine they really hung on to this this teaching of Jesus. Don't be afraid of people who all they can do is kill your body because there's a lot more to life than just what's here on this earth, and we'll see that come up again later in this chapter as well, but I thought that was an important point for us to think about, especially as I, I know one of the main point, well, the main point of this podcast is, well, the name is Heavy Branches. We want to encourage every Christian that listens to this to bear fruit in your life and to uh, positively affect the kingdom. And when you're doing that, that's Satan's going to gonna see that, and he doesn't want the kingdom of God to grow, and you're going to make a target out of yourself, and that's just the reality of how it is. Don't be afraid of the people who can kill your body but not do anything to your soul because the, the fruit that you're bearing for the kingdom is more important than, than any earthly comfort you might have. And, and we might not really need to fear people trying to kill us, but we certainly fear, fear losing friendships over our Christian faith or maybe people looking at us a little differently, treating us poorly. You know, we, we've got, there, there, there's still a price to pay to follow Christ. It's not as steep as it has been historically over Christ, the years of Christianity, but I think that's something we ought to think about some today is, who we should fear, and, and there's a thought there that you you kind of talking about what you're talking about with with fearing. When it comes to who do we need to fear in this life, respect, have have reverence, and a lot of times we fear men and what they can do to us. But this verse is really pulling out. There's two things that we can fear. We can fear men, and we can fear what they do to us. And it says they can kill our body, or we could fear God. That no, he's that that he holds our soul in, for eternity where we go, and yeah. so people can't do that to us. People have nothing to do with what happens after our bodies is gone, and so to live our life knowing that that God 
the one that I need to fear is the one that, that will say where my soul goes for eternity. And that will change literally everything that we do with our life. And, and the man very well may kill the body. Yeah. But he can't affect, can't touch he my can't soul affect eternity. And when we're living with eternity in mind, the 60 or 70 years we may have left on this earth seem a lot smaller than than they really are. Yeah. And that leads right into this next section where I would say Jesus is talking about fearing God before others. So not just not just fearing God above others, but fearing God to the point that you confess him before other people. So verses 8, and I say to you everyone who confesses me before men the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God, but he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. What all true disciples of Christ, what they want to hear is Jesus saying, when, when the time go, comes, I knew you. I knew you. But he was not, he is not going to say that for somebody that didn't say that they knew him before others. That didn't share the gospel message with others. That didn't proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord no matter what before other people. And this this leads into this this thing that I would say scares a lot of people the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and we spoke a little bit on this last week, but I think we can talk about it a little more because it's very um, blatantly spoken of in this in this passage. But it is what we see here is that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and the choice not to believe or not to confess Jesus before men are very closely linked. I mean, they are within the same line of thought that Jesus is talking, is using here. So, this is where we can draw conclusions about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Here, here we see Jesus connect the sin of unbelief. And that is, that is a choice. The sin of unbelief and blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to... One of the things I want to stress about this is the importance of of three things. One is that we need to be sure that we believe the truth so that we aren't claiming God or the Spirit is or has done something that they are not or that they haven't done. The second thing is being extremely careful that we are not false witnesses of God. Those two things connect very closely. But then the third thing is, we, you know, I talked about an eagerness at the beginning. There is an eagerness or an urgency here that death seals our fate and a lifelong rejection of Jesus leads and ends in death where we will not be forgiven because we have rejected the truth. And 
I mean, they are just very closely linked thoughts. So when we're on this <clears throat> topic of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, we, we're thinking about, well, what is this? Because despite there not being a whole lot in Scripture about it, I feel like there's a lot of confusion. There is a lot of there's a lot of fear yeah. of people don't want. I mean, the text says he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. And and upon first glance, that might seem a little contradictory, because through the rest of the New Testament, we see as long as you're still alive. You've, you've got a chance to repent and come to Christ and you can be forgiven. And, and people know that and understand that. It's very clear through the scripture. And then we read this and we see, wait a minute. There, there is a sin that's unforgivable. But the rest of the scripture teaches, if you're still alive, you still have time to repent and, and come to Christ and receive forgiveness. If you genuinely come to him and believe and obey the gospel... So, so we've we've got this this tension here that a lot of Christians feel and a lot of Christians are are fearful of because the last thing we'd want to do is commit a sin that we can never repent of and never be forgiven of. And and there, there's a principle that is is very important for for Bible interpretation that I I know you guys know it and I I hope a lot of people listening know it but the Bible does not contradict itself. God, God cannot contradict himself. And so if we've got two scriptures, or, or one scripture in this case, and then kind of going against what the majority of the rest of the New, of the New Testament teaches, we're, we're going to have to figure out a way to, to settle this. Y- you can't say that the Bible teaches one thing in one place, but it, it goes against the rest of the Bible. And so what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Well, some, some people say it's like a specific, a specific act that we can commit. Um, some say it's it's crediting Jesus and his kingdom to, to being under the power of Satan. Um, Which some, is fitting within the context. It is. Uh, certainly why Jesus talked about it. And some people, you know, say it's like an attitude we can have. Uh, have you guys heard any other thoughts on what this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit actually is? Uh, I think I think a lot of people just go with I don't really know what it is, so we're not going to talk about it. To <laughs> yeah. be honest, unfortunately, that's kind of people go with the easy way out. So I I, I did want to say yeah we we mentioned the whole idea that it's that some people say it's um, taking Jesus and his kingdom and basically saying well that's of Satan, and when we see the Pharisees do this of Jesus. Is is it in this chapter or is it in the other? Is it it's in the other account? Just, it's just before in in Luke chapter eleven, picking up in verse seventeen. He knew their thoughts, and then he talks about how any kingdom divided against itself uh, is laid waste. And he says, "If by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Um, but if I cast out demons by the by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you." And so he's he's really he doesn't directly speak about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but it is very much alluded to in the chapter before. So, so that is the context we have here, and 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 blasphemy is what they put Jesus on the cross for, right? They they were saying, well, he's he's claiming to be God, but it's blasphemy because he's not God. 
Now, now we know, and, and you, everyone listening knows, or I hope everyone listening knows, that Jesus really is and was God. Now, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit kind of gets at the idea of, well, saying some, something of God is not really from God. And we actually see this happen in the Scripture. I, I know a lot of people are, are worried about this first. Oh, I don't want to commit this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because I can never be forgiven if so. But isn't that kind of what Paul did when he was still Saul? Would you guys say? I mean, he's persecuting the church, and, and he thinks he's doing right in the eyes of God. And, um, you know, he's he's killing Christians. He's throwing them in, in prison. He, he's really making it his, his life's ambition to do everything he can to stop the church because he didn't think Jesus' church was in line with the will of God. So is Paul just done for? Has he blasphemed the Spirit by by accrediting the work of Jesus and the, and the the church and the kingdom he established to not being of God. Well, we see from the New Testament, obviously Saul is able to meet Jesus on Damascus Road and have that conversion experience where Ananias tells him to to get up and be baptized, calling upon the name of the Lord, and he gets he, his sins are washed away. The scripture tells us that. So, So we see here, Direct evidence that this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not something that a, a, a person can just commit and then they're done for and they have no chance to come back from it. I, I would say, wh- where are you guys at with this? I agree. And Paul and Nicodemus are two fair are are really the main two Pharisees that we see in the scriptures not fall into this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what we see Jesus saying and, and speaking to, and throughout the Gospels, we see it, it, as you study the Pharisees and who they were and what they did, you see Jesus constantly calling them out for this heart condition that they had. And it stems from their choice, their blatant rejection and choice not to believe in Jesus. And Really, that's the difference between a majority of the Pharisees' hearts and the heart of Nicodemus and the heart of Paul is they heard and saw the truth and they believed it. Whereas these men, no matter what, at, at, at all costs rejected the clear truth that they were seeing. And that comes out in them saying things like the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit works, the power of the Holy Spirit working through Jesus in these miracles. It comes out in them saying that those things were of Satan. Their hearts were so hardened, they couldn't deny that Jesus was performing miracles. That was undeniable. So they were like, well, we can't say he's not actually doing miracles. Oh, here, here's what we can do to, to keep just rejecting him. We can just say he's doing it from the power of Satan. And that all stems from their unbelief. And, uh, you know, a lot of people want to say that unbelief is just not having enough evidence to believe. That's really, that is like bottom of the totem pole when it comes to reasons why people don't believe. Really, why people want, don't want to believe is selfishness and ignoring the truth even when it's right in front of them. Or sometimes it's a, it's a major heart problem. 
they they had a a loved one pass away unexpectedly or they had some some horrible tragic accident in their life or there's so much evil in the world that it, it's like the the saying of every atheist uh god doesn't exist and i hate him but well, that well, how, how even can, that stems from selfishness because we think that we deserve better even though it's our own fault that we're in this world that we're in and the, that we're in the state of the world that we're in because of sin. Yeah. The point is, is most people don't believe, we, we are saying that most people don't believe, not because there isn't enough evidence, but because they have a heart problem. Yeah, yeah. And that's the Pharisees' problem. And so maybe we should ask then if, if this heart problem really has a lot to do with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, at what point in time does the sin become unforgivable? Well, the Bible teaches repeatedly that death seals our fate. Those that pass and have have committed their life faithfully to Jesus are are guaranteed. We have assurance of salvation in Him and forgiveness of sin, but we have to believe in him and faithfully seek after him for that but a lifelong living a life in unbelief and never coming to Jesus death seals your fate the the only the only point in time whether we're talking about the pharisees here or we're talking about us today the only point in time in which a sin becomes unforgivable is when we no longer have a chance to repent, believe, and obey the gospel. So what would you guys say if someone comes up to you and they're just full of fear and they say, hey, what do I do? I think I might have committed the, the, the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I think I might have done it. Because that happens. What, what would you guys say to that? I think I would start by responding as uh, many people do that if you're concerned about it, then you probably haven't. But a lot of people leave it there, and they just say, don't worry about it, I think you're good. I would explain that the connection that we see here between unbelief and and a heart condition that Jesus clearly saw was unchanging that would lead to a lifelong rejection and eventually death sealing their fate. I probably would start by asking them, well, what do you think you did? Because there's so many different ideas of what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. I'd want to make sure we're on the same page first. And so whatever it is they, they think they did, you know, if if they say, well, I, I've, I've said for a long time that uh, Jesus wasn't God and that it's all just some some fairy tale, it's made up, it's some scheme of Satan to get people away from a true religion. And if that's the case, I'd, I'd probably take him to Saul. Yeah. Because he, you're not the first person that's persecuted the church and said the church wasn't of God and said Jesus wasn't of God. But we see Saul wanted to change his mind while he still had life to live, and he did. And the Bible tells us that he washed his sins away, and he, he was forgiven when he believed in Jesus and then obeyed the gospel. Yeah. And 
and and people today can do that too. You know, if you've your whole life been totally anti-Jesus, anti-God, anti-church, uh, maybe you've come from some other religion or maybe no religion at all, and you just have this mindset of, I've been against God for so long, he would never want to accept me as one of his own. That's just not the case we see. I mean, God, God isn't happy that we've lived in rejection of him for part of our life, but it, it, the the clear testimony of, of the New Testament is no matter what how bad of a sinner you think you are, if you humble yourself and truly want to change your life and you, you believe in the gospel and you're willing to obey it and, and live faithfully, that, that God will forgive you. That's, that's probably where I'd go with it. And so just to conclude this thought, There is no contradiction in the scriptures. And we even see here that God, that Jesus doesn't say, you Pharisees have just blasphemed the Holy Spirit. He says, he who blasphemes the Holy, against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. He who does. So Jesus isn't saying, you just did it. It's not a but, one-time action. But... He sees in their hearts that if they keep on this trajectory, that will seal their fate. So I guess to to, to kind of wrap this up and put a bow on it, we would say that the point in time at which the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is committed, this unforgivable sin, okay, when does this happen? At the end of someone's life, when they have their heart has been so hardened that they've rejected all of, t- all of the testimony of Jesus that they've received over their life, that they've rejected all the way to the end, they breathe their last breath. That's when that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is committed and it becomes unforgivable for them. Would, it, would that be something you guys would... Are we all on the same page with that there? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting the way Jesus kind of ends this with verses 11 and 12. And the main point is that to accept the Holy, Holy Spirit's guidance, he will teach us what to say before others. But rejecting him in unbelief, that's going to lead to us failing to speak the truth in our defense. Because if we are not accepting his guidance if we're not willing to confess him before others there is there is no defense of that um you know to reject him he's not going to be there to help you if you reject him um and i believe you had another thought with along those or with that passage with 11 and 12 yeah yeah i wanted to talk for a little bit about this i don't know for those of you listening, I don't know what you've been taught growing up, but I I, I believe I was taught something wrong about this passage, and, I, and we were just talking about this yesterday at school, and, and to just I'll read it, 11 and 12. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, this isn't what I was taught growing up, but some people use this as a thing where, all right, if you're going to go preach a sermon or do a lesson, you better not do any notes. 
or have any notes, and you better do no preparation on the way up there because when you get up on that stage or you get in that Sunday school classroom, God's just going to give you the message and lay it on your heart, and you're going to know what to say. And that's not what I was taught, but I've heard that. What I was taught was when we are going out to share the gospel with people, it's good to prepare. That's fine. It's not a bad thing to prepare, but it's also something you don't need to be worried about because, look, it says don't worry about how or what you're going to say in your defense or what you're going to say for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And so the idea I was taught growing up is don't be nervous about talking to somebody about God or about sharing your faith because he's just going to give you the words to say. <laughs> and and when I hear that said, I, I kind of cringe a little <laughs> because that's just, that's that's not really how it works. That that is that promise was for the apostles. the 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 way that the Holy Spirit kind of helped and aided them is, is a lot different than the way the Holy Spirit helps and, and aids us today. And we've talked about that over over numerous episodes in the podcast here. But we 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 should prepare ourselves in advance to share the gospel as to what we're going to say. And and I don't mean we need to have a <laughs> a page of a script where we're going to have a conversation with somebody about God and you say, okay, wait one second. Let me, let me get out my page here and then just start reading off a script. I don't mean that, but we ought to prepare ourselves. And the Bible, the Holy spirit, part of his job in the Christian life is to guide us and teach us, but it isn't without God's word. The way that he does that is by us joining together with the Holy spirit in God's word to draw the truth out of it so that we can talk to people about it. It isn't this, I'm not going to ever read the Bible and just expect the Holy Spirit to basically speak for me when I get into a situation. That's not how it works. In fact, 1 Peter tells us in chapter 3, verse 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And here's the fra- here's the, the key phrase to hone in on. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, and yet do this with gentleness and, and reverence or respect. And so this it's the same idea in the passage in Luke we're in and here in First Peter, this thing of, okay, well, giving a defense for your faith, for what you believe in when, when people question you. That's what happened to to the disciples there in Luke. That's what happens to us today. And Peter tells us we need to be ready to make a defense for everyone who asks us about the hope that we have. And that being ready to make a defense does not mean that I'm just going to not even think about it because the Holy Spirit is just going to tell me every word that I need to say. And but God, God has given us his word so that we can study and learn and and, and be ready for those situations to come up. And within the context, when we are putting our fear in God, he is going to guide us and prepare us for those situations. So we don't have to worry about it. Not that we shouldn't be diligent. The point is be diligent in fearing God. And when you do that, you won't have to worry. And, and it's also that I, I don't want you to think that I'm saying this, saying that when we are talking with people about God or about Jesus or sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit still helps us. It's not that we're just all alone. God hasn't forsaken us to do this this task 
with eternal consequences but on our own. It's just that the Holy Spirit helps us through his word. The Holy Spirit is the reason we have God's word. The Spirit is who inspired the the writers to to write in all truth as Jesus delegated his authority to the apostles, as we'll see later. Uh, actually, no, we won't see that later. It's not in Luke. That's in John. Um, but anyways, the Holy Spirit helps us through our studying and reading of God's word. He, he doesn't just pop in our minds and tell us what we need to say like we're God's little puppets. But I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're all on the same page for sure. So now we can hop into the big section. <laughs> 48 minutes in, get into the big section. Yeah. Um, we're, you know, I like I said, I want you all, we want you all to read this. I think we kind of talked about this before the podcast and, you know, I thought it as I was reading it, and they had a different conversation about it another day. But these verses 13 through 34, a lot of times people take small sections out of this and then go and teach or preach it. And I'm not condemning those people. But I really do think you miss part of the, the main idea when you do that because really these verses all connect around the same theme. And that theme is, again, fear God, not money, not power, not greed. Fear God and focus your mind on the right things. And that right thing is his kingdom. Um. And, and just real quick, to kind of illustrate what you're saying, here, the, the section is verse 13 until verse 34. 34. And there are three teachings, or three kind of accounts here of Jesus. And I've, he- I've heard all of these preached in sermons, and I've heard them taught in lessons, but they're always plucked out and taught individually. The first one being this issue of, uh, a, a guy coming to Jesus and he wants him to settle this matter of a family inheritance and Jesus won't do it and then he tells him be be on guard against every form of greed for even when one has an abundance even when one has an abundance life does not consist of his possessions and then he, he goes right from that to telling the crowd there a parable and it's the parable of the rich fool that hits back at the same point he just talked about in the family inheritance issue of life, even when you have an abundance, life does not consist in possessions. When you get to the end of the parable of the rich fool, he, he goes telling in t- verse 22, and he said to the, his disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life. Okay, okay, stop. For what reason did Jesus say this? What he just got done saying in the parable of the rich fool. So Jesus connects all three of these teachings, the family inheritance thing, the rich fool, the parable of the rich fool, and then this whole section about not worrying. They're all, they're all connected back to back to back by Jesus. But when we teach these, or when I've had them taught to me or preached in a sermon, we pluck them out of the context and just teach them. And I think we lose a lot of what Jesus was really intending to teach here. And I remember uh, reading through, especially this talking about the do not worry, because we definitely, you know, that one is definitely 
taken out and and you know do not worry do not worry about life and all of these things and when I was doing the study I was looking through the scripture and it says do not worry do not worry do not worry and it gives all these reasons but then out of nowhere in 29 it says and do not seek and so my thought here was well he's just Jesus is saying do not worry do not worry about these things do not worry because of the the ravens and the lilies but then he says uh, do not seek. And the first thought is, well, is Jesus changing subjects? Is there something else happening? Well, if we look in context, no. He says, do not seek uh, what you eat, what you drink, and, and keep on worrying. And then if we understand, like you said, to go back, he said, for this reason, do not worry. And if we go back, we see that he says, so if a man stores up treasure for himself, he's not rich towards God. So that is what the do not worry is because do not focus on these worldly possessions. And so to to kind of tie it all in a bow, we see the 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 conclusion Jesus gets to is to to seek first the kingdom, right? Verse 31. Yeah. Yeah. But seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Okay. Yeah. So this this whole idea of what you're saying, Jacob, between the relationship between worrying and seeking. It's not that Jesus just changed subjects in the middle of his teaching. They're very closely connected. Go all the way back to the beginning. The guy who was worried about the family inheritance. What was he worried about? Money. money. So what did he seek? Money. To to get the money to get the money problem fixed. Okay. Parable of the rich fool. What was what was this guy worried about? It's He's money. got too much crop for his barns. He's got all these earthly material resources and blessings. And so what it, what is he worried about? His crops. So what is what does he seek to build bigger barns and to take to take care of his of his finances? Okay, then we've got this this section about worrying. What are these people worried about that Jesus is, is talking about? Well, their their life's needs, clothes, um, food. food. Let's see what else is in here. I don't want to miss misspeak here. Yeah, Clo- clothes food and food, food and, yeah. and drink. And so Jesus doesn't say just don't worry. Because we all know how that works. If someone's worrying about something, you just tell them, "Okay, we'll stop worrying." How? how <laughs> you're married. You're in a long-term relationship. How does it work when your lady's worrying about something? And you're just like, "Quit worrying." Does it work? Just don't do. In it. In my experience, that's not a good idea. <laughs> May, maybe why I'm single. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it's not a good idea. That's not it's, an so, answer to the so, solution. So Jesus isn't just saying, "Quit worrying." Yeah. He he he's he's trying to get them to understand if you change. What you seek, you won't have these worries. Yeah, because when we because when we seek first the kingdom, verse thirty one, these things will be added to you. God takes care of these insignificant animals, and how much more does He love us if we're going to seek Him first? He's going to take care of us too. And one thing I wanted to say, I just I absolutely love. This section, and specifically when it talks about the birds, it says, uh, consider the ravens. And the reason (laughs) I love this verse so much is because I think it was my second or third sermon I ever preached. I was still in high school. I was probably 16 or 17. And at that time... Um, I, I remember I was homeschooled, so I had a lot of extra time and I did kind of strange things sometimes. And I, I found this bird that lived behind my trash can 
And I would go out every single day, and I'd go check on this bird and feed it. It was actually a dove. Oh, you fed it too? Yeah, I fed it, oh, and I, I no caught, wonder it didn't leave. Yeah, I named it Charles the Trash Bird. And so I would go out there and you know go to Charles and check on it. And my one of my first sermons I wrote was about the birds and considering the ravens. And the main point of the sermon, which is really silly, but this is what my 16-year-old mind could come up with, is that if God takes care and cares for even Charles the trash bird, then God will care for us. And so I, this verse really has a special place in my heart just because of, you know, that silly sermon that I wrote so long ago. Hey, what, what you might call is a silly sermon, I think that's a, a very a very so- solid application <laughs> to make from this, you know. Charles the trash <laughs> That bird. just reminded me of something I heard this week. I don't remember what I was watching, but this guy was preaching and he goes so this lady was praying that God provide food for her she was praying it every day and her neighbor was an atheist and he heard her praying for this constantly and so what he did was he went to the store and he got a bunch of these groceries and laid them on her front porch and rang the doorbell and he hid behind a bush, and she opens the door and sees all this food, and she she starts praying and thanking God. God did this. God did this. God did this. And the atheist jumps out and says, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> I did this, <laughs> and, and you are praying to a God that doesn't even exist. And she's like praying, God did this. God does this. God does this. And he was like, explain, no, I went and got these groceries. I paid for this with my own money. And she goes, God did this and he made Satan pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I just, I thought that was hilarious. That's fantastic. Um, Oh man. (laughs) And really, we complicate things so much. Our life goal is to seek his kingdom and we get so distracted by greed or things that we think that we need. But are we listening to Jesus here? He doesn't say, get all the power or the money or the food or land or a job that you can and then serve me. No, he says, he says focus on me and my mission, and he's going to provide what we need. So... Yeah, it's about getting things in the correct order. Yeah. Seeking him first and not second, third, or fourth. Yeah. I, I hear all the time I'm not I hear the words, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do in my life or things like what God wants what me to God do. What God wants me to do. He tells us <laughs> focus on him and his mission. And he's going to provide and take care of the rest and open doors. And he even gets a little more specific than just seeking his mission first. Here in Luke, verse 33 and 34, Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts, which do not wear out. What kind of what money doesn't wear out? That's what I want to get. Well, <laughs> it's an unfailing treasure in heaven, is what Jesus says is the money belt that doesn't wear out. Because no thief can come near it, no moth destroys for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus, you know, people, a lot of people like to accuse the, accuse the church of preaching about money all the time. Uh, just They just want people's money. 
and and some churches, unfortunately, that is that's the truth. But Jesus does teach about money quite a bit, and he's he's hitting that money among other things here in this section. And the conclusion Jesus draws to after talking about the parable of this rich fool, about talking about what people worry about and what they seek, and how those things are so closely related, he's saying, if if you have earthly material blessings, think resources that you have, we need to use those to store up treasure in heaven, to to impact the kingdom of God. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourself money belts, which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that implies that as we focus on him, this isn't, that isn't, okay, I'm going to trust God and then just sit back and wait. That's that's not what is meant. It means trust God. It doesn't mean be lazy. It means trust God and focus your diligence properly. Focus it on trying to accomplish his mission, and he'll He'll make a way. Yeah. Seeking's active, not passive. Yes. You know, we can't right. passively seek something. The next thing, and we're, we're kind of getting to the, the closing part of the chapter, but fear God eagerly and urgently, verses 35 through 48. He speaks, he, he, said, he talks about being ready, being dressed and being ready. And he talks about... Who then is, is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? And then verse 48, But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has given much, much will be required. But to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. And this is really a lesson after all that, that fearing God, there needs to be intentionality about being ready. The call to salvation is urgent. The promises of the Lord's return, we should eagerly await and be on alert. And we need to make sure in that that we're not tricked by Satan. He says, um, what verse is it? Um, verse 39, but be sure of this. So make sure it's it's actually the Lord. You know, don't be tricked, but be on alert and be ready. Because he's coming back. And because he's coming back, it isn't just urgent for you. It's urgent for everybody. So the call for salvation is urgent for you. But because for those of us that have accepted that salvation already, your call to the mission is urgent. You can't sit back and be lazy and wait. We are held responsible for our failure to share urgently. Yeah. The, The eagerness, the urgency of of becoming a Christian and, and being made right with God, that urgency doesn't end once you're made right with God. 
because there are still tons and tons of people in your life and around you that aren't right with him. And as, as we talked about earlier, there there is a time where sin is going to be unforgivable. And that's when a person comes to the end of their life or when Christ returns. Maybe we should have added that in there, whichever happens first between Christ coming back or someone's life ending. That's when sin becomes unforgivable. But until then, we have an urgency. Hey, we're living in a world where people all over the place are not right with God, but they could be. Maybe if we viewed their eternal destination with a little more urgent urgency. And, and the whole uh, whole of Scripture talks about this, and Jacob's going to laugh, but one of my favorite verses in Jude talks about this urgency where <laughs> it says to snatch others from the fire. And if we live a life, if we're already a Christian, you know, it's not done. And we have to walk around our life realizing that there is eternal consequences to what happens here and that there are those that are destined to not an eternity in heaven and that we're going to have to live a life snatching others from the fire. There is an urgency to the life that we live, and it's so important to realize that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. Then it, Jesus speaks in verse verses 49 50. He says, I've come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. So he's speaking, first of all, of the judgment to come. He's, he's just talked about the fact that there is an urgency because the Lord's return is coming. And, and we need to be ready for that. And not only do we need to be ready for it, but we need to help other people be ready for it. We need to be snatching people out of the fire. And, you know, now that I think about it, maybe it's maybe Jesus put that teaching there on purpose right after talking about seek the kingdom first and use your use your money and possessions to, to store up treasure in heaven. Where is your priority? Seeking the kingdom. How do we seek the kingdom? Being ready and getting others ready. Absolutely. Ready for what? The judgment that's going to come where he's going to cast fire upon the earth. How he, he says how I wish it were already kindled. That's his just, the godly justice talking. But then he says, but I have a baptism to undergo. Now, he's already been baptized by John. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about his sacrifice on the cross. And it's so interesting how this relates to Romans chapter 6. And so many people want to question about the the essentiality of baptism. If it's necessary for us to be forgiven of our sins, if we need to be baptized. You but mean. even Jesus claims that his very sacrifice, which that shed blood is what cleanses us of our sins calls his own sacrifice baptism here in in Luke chapter 12. And it relates to what Paul says, what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Okay, when do we die to sin? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? 
Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus starts at baptism, which directly resembles Christ's sacrifice on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection which he refers to and prophesies about right here in verse 50. Well, our baptism is what unites us with what Jesus did to save us. You know, when we, we're standing in the water and we get, we get baptized, we go down underneath the water, we are, we are reenacting Jesus' death. Now, thankfully, we don't got to be held under for three days like he was. Or I, I can't hold my breath for that long. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> But then we get brought back up, and it resembles his resurrection. And so the, the the power of baptism is not in the water. No, It's not that there's something special about using water and that the water washes the filth off of us, and that's how our sins are forgiven. Baptism is, is the moment in time in which it, it's really like a surrender. It's, it's not earning your salvation. It is not earning your salvation. It, it, it's more than anything a surrender because we're saying there's nothing I can do to save myself. But Jesus Christ said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. And so if we believe in him, we decide, okay, well, I'm not just going to make this a mental thing. I'm going to act on it. I'm, I'm actually going to start the Christian life. I'm going to die to sin and be made alive in Christ. And, and the New Testament teaches that's what, that is what happens at baptism. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So he speaks of his death, which he would endure soon. And he speaks of what we go through, not the excruciating part. He took that for us. But the the faithful act that we, we come to when we begin our Christian life. The last thing, verses 51 through 59, the main, the main point of these verses, I find, is that continuing with this, this fear of God, fear God because Jesus is coming again. He says, I'm here right now. Do, I, do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. He is here right now. And we need to be ready because he's coming again. And the, and this and this time it's going to be for final judgment. When he comes again, it's going to be for final judgment. So we better reconcile with Jesus or pay the price. 
And a lot of people don't like that fire and brimstone kind of preaching. Hmm. But that's how Jesus ends his little sermon here. If Jesus preached about hell, who are we to forsake it and only preach about heaven? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you all have anything else? I think that's all. No. Well, thanks for joining us, Jacob Cabe. Good to to have you on here I do want to say thank you guys for having me again. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be able to be with you guys. And so thank you for inviting me back. I really appreciate it. For sure, for sure. It kind of happened like last time where it wasn't really planned for you to be up here. You just found yourself hanging hanging out with (laughs) us up here in northern Kentucky this weekend and so we were like, all right, you're back on. <laughs> and uh, the people loved you last time. We loved you last time. <laughs> and uh, the camera loved you last time. So, yeah. you know, we're. I even, I did so well. They upgraded my chair. Just amazing. Yeah, I gave him a chair that <laughs> was a little more comfortable. <laughs> Just messing with you guys. <laughs> I offered a pillow to sit on for your butt and for your back. And you're like, oh, I know, no, no, I it's know. Okay. <laughs> and if you're confused about what you're talking about, what we're talking about, he was on another podcast, and he was in a wooden chair. So yeah, check it out. <laughs> check it out. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Uh, we love doing this, so uh, you know it's it's a privilege and an honor. React through likes or comments or however, and fear God, go bear fruit, and so prove to be one of His disciples. <laughs> <laughs>